The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of their organization. Welcome to the Enterprise Knowledge Cast, ranked by Feedspot as the number one KM podcast in the world. This is a look into the world of knowledge management, information management, data management, and everything in between. KnowledgeCast is brought to you by Enterprise Knowledge. I'm Zach Wall, founder and CEO of EK. Today, we're speaking with Kyle Hobson, Senior Manager of Knowledge Management at Best Buy. Kyle, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Zach. Absolutely. Kyle, let's dive right in. Knowledge Management at Best Buy. What does that mean? What are your responsibilities? What do you do? Thank you for asking. So knowledge management is something that I've found a passion in, and I kind of have a functional definition, if you will, of it, and mm-hmm. uh, and kind of a human definition that I'll tell people outside of work <laughs> so they can understand it. So the functional definition that we often use around Best Buy is it's the practices an organization uses to find, create, organize, and distribute knowledge for reuse and learning. So it's all about that reuse being the key word for me. There's a lot of knowledge in people's heads. And if it stays there, it can't be used by others. And so kind of our functional definition. If I'm talking to my aunt or someone that I need to explain in more human terms, I'll use Google as an example and say, in your life, if you're trying to remember a recipe or trying to look up how to do a certain thing, change the oil on your vehicle, what do you do? You're going to default to Google, YouTube, you'll just look it up. That's the experience we're trying to create at Best Buy for our workforce is the just look it up experience. Building a knowledge capability allows the workforce, whether they're in the stores, whether they're working in our call centers or working in home, it's that look it up experience that we're trying to enable. And the last thing I think I'd share on this topic that's relevant to my space is that knowledge enables the learning strategy that we have. So It's a big way that you learn, just like we talked about. As you look things up in your life, I don't know how to do something. I just Google that. Being a new way that we learn as a society, it's a big part of how we are enabling the learning strategy as a company. That's great. I think a lot about this, the fact that knowledge management and learning and development are really coming together as two practices. The phrase learning at the point of need has been out in the learning community for a while. And it sounds like what you're describing is kind of knowledge at the point of need, not just how do I learn and how do I do my job more effectively, but look it up. What's the stuff I need to do my job? Let's go act on that knowledge now that we have it, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. I found myself defining this more clearly in light of that comparison to learning. So Take training, for example, it serves a purpose still, right? We need to be instilled certain kind of values and concepts and theories. But when you're in a classroom setting or you're learning something online, you're not expected to remember every fact you're presented with. That's the learning the point of need you're talking about. It's the look it up when you need it. That's Mm -hmm. when knowledge and information is the most stickiest is when you actually have a desire for it. You have a need to apply it to right away. And you're more likely to remember that when you need it versus some facts you were given in a classroom setting. That's perfect. I think that the statistics are, it's about an expectation of 20 to 30% retention of knowledge if it's in a classroom setting, whereas it's above 80% if it's live, I learned it, and then I acted upon it, I did it, and then I'll be able to do it again without looking it up. Yeah, you're saving time there, you're learning more effectively, and you're getting it done the right way, the best by way, as, as I imagine you might say every now and again. 
<laughs> we like to think we, uh, we're doing it pretty well. <laughs> Good. So I want to go back to your definitions because I think they're great. And I think for our listeners, there's a few things to call out here. First, I love the verbs, find, create, organize. So you're putting this in very natural terms that everybody will be able to understand. Even when you're not giving your cocktail party definition, you're not getting overly jargony with KM. You're really you're saying these are the things that should be easy for you to do. These are the things that you can do better because of the job I've done, right? Yeah, it is about human language. That's something that we embrace at Best Buy, even internally, is how do we just make things real, put things mm-hmm. into common language that others can understand. And I think it's especially prevalent in knowledge management, given that you can say to someone, I work in training, and there's often a connotation that I know what you do. <laughs> if you say to someone yes. that I work in knowledge management, <laughs> not so much. It, no clue. It, it, it almost sounds pretentious. What, you manage all the knowledge out there? <laughs> And so to be able to articulate it in common language, like find, create, organize, is more amenable to people. They can understand these terms rather than saying, yes, we have decentralized authoring models and (laughs) we democratize your information for the common good, you know, like making it relatable. I love the fact that you brought up this concept of democratization of content or knowledge, the idea that historically one of the big challenges, frankly, today still, the big challenge that a lot of organizations have is that the knowledge is held by experts and not readily accessible by everyone else, especially those folks newest to the organization often find impediments to getting to the stuff that's going to help them be successful there. That's great. How did Best Buy come to that philosophy? Is this something that you've originated? Was this part of the KM program before you came on board? How about a little bit of history? Because it seems like y'all are really talking about this in very business-centric and approachable terms. Great question. I think it does tie back to some of my journey. So I'd like to share some of that to kind of set the stage, if you will. So. So I started out at Best Buy in the call center world, got my foot in the door, started to answer phone calls, and then moved into different roles within that department, if you will. So I worked on the social media team, got to interact with customers on that platform as it was becoming a new thing. And any company was starting to interact digitally on social platforms and learned a lot in that space. And then I moved into an operations role which is where I I was able to accelerate my career and my skill set. I got to travel internationally to see some international VPOs, some outsourcing, and oversaw a call center experience. One of those programs that I was responsible for took a low volume of calls and very widespread call types. So if you're familiar with call center world, that's the challenge, right? Like you've got now not very many calls coming in. So you've got a high cost to serve. You're going to want to keep those employees busy somehow. You don't want them sitting on waiting for the next phone call. And so you give them a lot of call types. That now creates a new challenge of how do you manage a wide breadth of work? Honestly, when I came into this program, I was like, I don't know how they're doing this. I would listen to their calls. And I was like, how are you experts on every call that comes in? <laughs> right. So I went to the site, I visited the agents and I watched as they would pull up a site, have tabs open for every call type that they were taking, and then would just flip to that when the call would come through and all of a sudden have all their instructions right there. And that was my KM light bulb moment. <laughs> that was the moment I realized this is powerful. Having a tool that puts information in a place that can make one person an expert on this whole range of topics 
is powerful, created a passion in me to explore this concept further and led to me being one of the first persons in business at Best Buy having KM in my title and kind of growing a team at Best Buy to now do it from seven years ago today. It was one person, now it's seven of us. So it's been an amazing journey and kind of seeing that value play out from the call center world to now across our entire workforce. Best Buy is a very large company. We've got 120,000 strong Hmm. in our workforce. So there's a lot of opportunity to create consistency and execution, create world-class customer experiences. And ICKM is a huge enabler of that. First of all, congratulations. That's that's amazing. A couple of questions stem out of that. And the first one I want to ask is how you convinced your executives that KM mattered. It's been a long journey, but I will say that we've had the pleasure of working with some amazing leaders. Our very purpose statement is reflective of kind of this KM struggle that we have of like marrying people and process with technology. Our yeah. purpose statement at Best Buy is to rich, enrich lives with technology. So that's what we do across the entire company. We're trying to enrich the lives of the humans we interact with using technology. And that's at the heart of what we're doing with KM is we're trying to enrich the lives of our workforce with the technologies that we have. And so I've had the privilege of working with leaders that believe in this concept of kind of creating a knowledge base that can be accessible to enable the vastness of our workforce and the agility of our workforce. So I think, yes, it's been a long journey, but I'm just grateful for the types of leaders that have seen the vision for it. One of the keys, I think it's an art and a science to getting this story out there, is connecting what KM can enable to the priorities and the measures that matter in the company. If we can get the knowledge out of people's heads and document it in a way we can enable growth, we can enable agility, we can enable someone moving from one job to the other faster, quicker onboarding, like being able to tie in with these priorities and these measurable goals that we have as a company has accelerated our journey. And that's where the business value and the return on investment for KM becomes so critical. The more you can measure that, the more you can report out on it, the more that you can show the value of KM, the more effective your program is going to be and the more support you're going to get from your leadership. Let's talk about that. How are you measuring KM? You talked about a couple of your KPIs, if you will. Are you actually capturing math on those? Do you actually have numbers on how KM has impacted Best Buy? I would say in varying degrees, yes, we have. (laughs) I would imagine many companies are in the same boat where do we have the data? Yes. Are we actively like tracking all of it? No, there's a lot of work to be done. One of the KPIs that I love to talk about, we've called it content health. So from a knowledge-based standpoint, we are measuring this via the rating system. So we have our end users that are consuming the knowledge are able to rate the content. And for us, it's a thumbs up and thumbs down. I know many people have like a star rating system, but the measurement of how positive the ratings are compared to the thumbs down is an indicator that we may have work to do as a business on the content that exists and is serving the workforce. So As we've watched this content health number, it's shown us, oh, we need to action on this content in this area of the business to make sure it's updated and relevant because the voice of the people is saying we need to work on something. And so that's one we really key in on. You're hitting on a great point here that I think a lot of people think about KM as the, hey, we're going to make things better. We're going to make your content more accessible. We're going to make search better. We're going to make your onboarding experience better. But you just pointed out that an effective KM program can also identify gaps in what's working. And so that content health, you're identifying probably the topics of information that aren't scoring as well 
to then be able to act on those and improve them over time. That's fantastic. By the way, I'm also a fan of the thumbs up, thumbs down. My personal reason for this is that different people grade on different curves. So one person's five is another person's three. So the moment that you let people kind of put their own grade in is the moment that you're going to get inconsistency (laughs) versus something's good or something's bad. That's pretty consistent, right? (laughs) We actually debated on this topic for quite a long time and came to the same conclusion. And I think the psychology of people rating, someone probably knows a lot of psychology, behavioral analytics behind why people do this. But I fall in the camp of someone who if I get a survey, I almost never give it a perfect score or I almost never <laughs> give it, I, I never go to the extremes. <laughs> so I wouldn't give something a five. Like, is it perfect? I don't know. I couldn't. So I'm always going to be in that four to two range. <laughs> this is also heavily impacted by whether you've had your coffee, whether you're having a good day, <laughs> any number of other factors. I'm a much more generous grader after I've either had a coffee at the beginning of the day or a whiskey at the end. So take that into account as well. <laughs> Going back to the call center, because I think that it's very powerful that you actually worked in a call center. Call centers are one of the greatest places where knowledge management can have a very real and clear impact. If your knowledge base is healthy, that's going to reduce the amount of time a call takes. It will improve the overall resolution of calls. Your sitting at that desk, to me, has given you probably a lot of empathy for the folks that are asked to work in that very challenging situation. Can you give us a little bit more on how being that call center agent has impacted your philosophy for KM? Yeah, I love that you're calling that out because I often articulate that call centers seem to be the birthplace of many KM programs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's where it's often uncovered that we could use a system for managing the complexity of what comes into us. I definitely relate to what you're describing. I remember being a call center rep, taking phone calls and just seeing the knowledge as my lifeline. If it's documented in a process, now I feel so much more confident in the answer I'm giving to the customer calling in. And I think something that relates to KM, I would love your point of view, Zach, too, is this concept of crowdsourcing, the ability Mm -hmm. to get knowledge out of the heads of the people that are like on the front line doing the work first occurred to me on the when I was taking phone calls because I would find things that aren't in the knowledge base that I knew that I had discovered. I know how to do this. We should document this. And so at the time, we didn't have a really good way for someone in that role to share things out. It was just kind of stuck there. So it's been a passion of mine ever since to like create avenues for people doing the work to share what they know and let us know if we don't have it on the knowledge base, we need to get it there. That's absolutely right. And you had previously mentioned, Kyle, the fact that in any call center, there's likely to be some downtime. And I think that a well-designed KM program will leverage the downtime of those call center agents really well in exactly the way that you mentioned. Perhaps it's improving existing content. Maybe it's relating different pieces of content. They found the answer that they most frequently receive the question from, but there's this other piece of content that maybe elaborates on that answer and they've experienced, they find that healthy. A lot of times in some call centers, it's actually identifying old or obsolete or incorrect elements that are still within the knowledge base that would open the organization up to risk. 
I think that a lot of organizations don't actually regard the expertise of their call center agents sufficiently. They don't give them enough opportunity to actually make things better. They just expect them to read off the screen. It sounds like you're of the mind, like I am, that there's a lot of value that those folks can offer in their downtime, but also in the midst of their calls when they have the right tools to be able to do what they're doing. Absolutely. Completely agree. I think the reality that I keep kind of conveying every chance I get is that everyone plays a role in knowledge Mm -hmm. management. Every time you look at a resource, you're a validation that whether that resource worked or not, how relevant it was to you, you can provide some input into how useful that was for everyone in the similar role to you. Kind of getting that awareness across the company, creating the culture of resourcefulness, A, to just start using your resources before you go ask your smart friend to start there first and then improve it. If you're there and you know something or can improve what you're finding, that's a muscle that I think many companies don't quite realize they can develop. And they just kind of exist wondering why they're so inefficient or why there's inconsistency in execution. I think this is a fantastic point. And you know, some organizations, we describe this as KM encouraging innovation. Sometimes it's about, you already use the word democratizing the voices of the individuals, but you're really hitting on the key point. It seems that KM at Best Buy, one of its missions is to give everybody that voice and to honor everybody's knowledge. And I think that is a fantastic point that isn't just good for the organization, it's also good for the individuals. And it makes your folks happy, right? One of my favorite phrases, I utter it probably once a day at least, is good KM creates good employees and good employees are good at KM. It's a self-feeding beast. And I think it's really neat to see that in action at another organization. So well done. Let's go a little bit bigger. You mentioned the 120,000 employees. KM is enterprise-wide at Best Buy. We talked about the call center, but talk a little bit, if you would, about some of the other efforts that you're working on. How does KM impact all 120,000 of those folks? If you're a customer or you've shopped at Best Buy, you know, we have a store presence. It's a big part of being a retailer. We've got employees working there on a, at a location. We've got an in-home workforce. So we've got people coming out to your home. You can get an appointment. You can come out and, and kind of assess your space or even service your products. We also have a whole supply chain to us, a product delivery, a means of managing the inventory we have and distributing it throughout the nation. We have a health business recently. We've engaged in in the health realm, a whole different product line and services. There's kind of a methodology that we've developed. As we grow and lines of business get stood up, instead of talking about them in what we call silos, a big KM term, silos, right? Information silos are bad, you know? (laughs) Instead of talking about them in that way, we talk about the mindsets that exist throughout our company. So we have someone in a call center might be a behind the screen user or someone who's Mm -hmm. kind of working with a customer, but from behind a screen. So they can constantly be interacting with digital systems. A store worker is more on the floor. They're more someone who's going to maybe a workstation or they have a device in their hand that they can use, but not as frequently interacting digitally, more physically with a customer. Similar to someone in the home, they might be needing knowledge positioned before they walk into the home as opposed to during the customer interaction. So there's some of the ways that we have to think about it. In our service centers, we have a lot of tenure, so some employees that have been doing a similar type of job for a very long time. If we send a product somewhere to get repaired, these technicians have been repairing maybe the same laptop model for the longest time, and they've developed 
impact, maybe a career off of what they know about that model. So asking them to share their knowledge to make everyone as smart as them, we might be up against the change curve there because there's some resistance to sharing. The mindsets we have to approach all in different ways and with different change management strategies, tying in with what's in it for them and for the, mm -hmm. the bigger picture of the company, we find ourselves doing a lot of change managing. <laughs> you actually just mentioned something, that the resistance to sharing. I know our listeners would love to hear more about this. Generally, when I think of resistance to sharing, it's because of one of the big three, either somebody is afraid of losing their power, meaning if they share their knowledge, they're not as important, they might not be as critical to the organization, or they're afraid of getting in trouble, meaning what if they share something that their boss doesn't like, or that maybe is contrary to the strategy of the organization. Or number three, and perhaps the most common one is that it's just too hard. The systems don't make it easy to share knowledge. There's technological or workflow impediments to sharing. In the example that you gave, my guess would be the first one, the knowledge is power and concern one. Is that generally what you see with your folks? And if so, what are you doing to blunt that sword? In transparency, this is one we're still working through. We're still trying to figure out what's the best way to motivate. I think it's a combination of what you mentioned. We've got system opportunities. We've got kind of motive opportunities that are all kind of there for real reasons that we have to kind of address as a KM practice as we begin to bring them on their journey. Like, as you know, I'm sure KM is never done. So many of these teams that we've had success with, and there's many that we're still, we're still working through, how do we get that engagement? I think there's intrinsic motivators in everyone for why they come in and bring their best to the job, that it bears researching, it bears understanding, and we can address it. For example, one time I was at a, a site like this doing a visit and just trying to understand more a place where we would repair products. I asked this question to the person working on the products. I said, what would motivate you to share what you know more? And he said, put my name on the article. I was like, oh, well, that's not too hard. <laughs> we can do that. You can do that. For, for them, it was about the recognition. It was about the Love awareness it. of who is the expert, who shared this, so that they can have a sense of pride in sharing it. So sometimes it's pretty basic. <laughs> That's fantastic. You know, you mentioned your content health. Have you looked at any trending or tying together content health rankings with the author of the content? As in, do you know who the creators of your healthiest content are? That is a good correlation that we should explore. <laughs> okay, good. I think I have a wonderful team that I work with that probably could rattle off the names of people that do have the highest rated articles. But from a data standpoint, I don't know that we've watched that or trended it or mm -hmm. kind of drawn further insight from that. So that's a great idea. Gamification is a mixed bag, but that might be one that leaderboards of the most highly rated experts on particular topics, some organizations, we've helped even turn that into bonusing. Sure. People actually get bonuses when they get the highest ranked overall content scores. So there's a lot there, but it seems like you've got the necessary data, which is a huge element of the hurdle. So you're on the right track. That's awesome. I love the fact that you mentioned the store workers, those folks in brick and mortar that are actually in sales, doing the checkouts, doing the stock. What do they get out of KM at Best Buy? What's the impact for them? Yeah, in the store environment, a lot of the connotation of KM has been SOP, 
So if you're familiar with standard operating procedures, this is a way that they know what the truth is for the process they should be following. It's the source of truth for how do I process something in the register or how do I work on a certain device in the store? How do I follow safety procedures? SOP is that source of truth for them. It's been kind of interesting to draw the correlations to KM because it hasn't always been associated with KM. But mm-hmm. over time, as we've been more and more clear about the definition, knowledge management is about the resources people use in the moment as they're doing their job to be more consistent or accurate or know they're doing it the right way. So therefore, SOP falls within that definition. And so it hasn't always been connotated even with KM, but As of more recently, it has. It's within that same realm of a resource that's kind of constantly updating. There's always the living, breathing source of truth that's maintained is one of the differentiators between maybe a communication that is an event, a moment in time. It's information on how to do something, but it doesn't live on beyond that moment usually. And so, yeah, SOP is the big part for the stores. You know, I go back a year ago, last March and April, it seemed like the news regarding COVID was changing by the day. Did your KM program help those folks on the shop floor act based on the latest that Best Buy had to offer? Because my sense is your SOPs were probably in flux for a little while there. There was certainly an uptick in KM work during that time. And I think the great testament to knowledge during that for us has been that it's an enabler of the flexibility that we needed in that time as we would change what people do to react to the change in the trends, whether it's that we can't have stores open for a day or there's a new way to do curbside pickup. There was processes needed to cascade that change, to enable that change. And so knowledge, SOP in the store realm was was seen as an enabler for a lot of that work. So it's a key to flexibility then and even now as we move forward, yeah. as we try and be nimble and reactive to the changing trends of our market. That also tells me that y'all are doing pretty well when it comes to delivery of knowledge, when it comes to the technology side of this. When we see really unhealthy organizations, they're the ones that have printed out the manuals and every monitor in the call center is ringed with little sticky notes with different directions and different items of of information. It strikes me that if you are effective at updating and delivering new knowledge, that tells me that your platform is pretty healthy as well. Can you tell us a little bit about the technology side of KM at Best Buy? I may appear confident in many of the things that we're doing. We are on a journey as well. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's good. I have never been more confident in where we are headed in the vision Mm -hmm. uh, with KM, but technology is one of those realms that we are actively trying to defragment a lot of where things live. I think it's probably a similar story to a lot of companies, but there are You're not alone. Okay. (laughs) There are a lot of different places things can live today. And it creates a fatigue for employees. So if they're trying to find something and they're not sure if it's in system A, B, or C, they have to look in A, B, or C. And that just creates like a fatigue and a distrust, I think, yeah. in, in the systems. And so we are actively working to address that. And I'm excited that maybe we'll have some headlines to share nice. <laughs> down the road on it. But it is, it's one of those areas that's still actively underway. You know, Kyle, I got to thank you for that. You just did a major service to our listeners to let them know that there's always room for improvement. And also, that's a very KM attitude, right? My sense is your constituents trust you because 
you're the first one to say, look, we've got room for improvement here. That's a true mark of KM leadership. So well done. So you mentioned the roadmap. Talk to me about it. What's in the plans? Maybe it'll make you laugh, but it's pretty basic. One of the things that makes me most excited is to have one place to put things that Mm -hmm. the entire company can access. We haven't had that for a very long time. And it's an enabler of this vision of how we can be one of the best places to work, honestly, as a company, as an employee, Excellent. wherever you start, you should be confident in where you're going. We started this podcast out talking about that correlation to the Google experience. We want to just give our employees that, let me look it up when I need to. That comes with the need to have that consistent, confident place that people can go. Uh, and right now with it being multiple sources, there's just not that connotation of, I know where I can go to trust that mm-hmm. we'll have an answer. So that's one of the things that excites me the most about where we're headed is we will have a place that we can say it's here. And if it's not, it's probably in the process of being migrated. (laughs) The words that you just used there, trust, confidence, these are the words that do instill happy employees. They're the words that make people want to contribute their own knowledge and content and give people a sense of confidence that they're acting on the right information and that they're in an organization that wants them to succeed. So going back to the KPIs conversation, if you're not already tracking employee satisfaction and employee retention, it seems like those are a couple metrics that you're going to want to look at because you're headed in the right direction. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that the emotional reaction to the knowledge is a key component that you can't negate because honestly, it's a it's a workforce of people. We're a company run by people at the end of the day and behaviors are driven by how they feel with the systems that they interact with. I'm thinking well, we have some really great teams at Best Buy that do employee research even and the ability yeah. to spend time understanding what is needed, what actually would matter if we built it into a system is so helpful. You've obviously forged your own path. I don't recall you mentioning that you woke up as a teenager and said, Mama, Papa, I want to be a knowledge management expert when I grow up. What advice would you offer somebody who maybe is looking for a career change or is looking to get into KM, but right now is that call center agent or is in a sort of tangential profession and doesn't know how to begin? I think one of the important aspects to know about KM is it does toe that line really well between business acumen and technology acumen. So I've found myself navigating highly technical conversations with our IT teams about, you know, a deployment and the timing and the impacts the UAT needed to enable it. Very technical conversations and then quickly going over to translate that to the business and saying, here's what that means for the programs you have in flight and how we're going to help manage the implementation from like a business lens. So someone looking to get into this space, I think it'd be really important if they're aware of the gaps with technology or with their own skill set around business acumen, it requires both. I think one other thing, as we've touched on in this podcast, is knowledge isn't always the easiest thing for people to wrap their heads around. And so we often find ourselves translating that to others. And so that lends itself to a bit of a roller coaster. (laughs) Some weeks we may be on top of the charts in terms of what's important in the company. And some weeks the opposite of that. You might be fighting for funding and for prioritization and relevance. And I've had team members join the team and just kind of realize that in day one and be like, 
are we going to be okay? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, we've been through this before. We always make it through. So you got to have a little bit of grit, I think, in KM to (laughs) stick with it. I I think that's great guidance and advice. You know, Kyle, I want to go back to something that, that you mentioned before. You were listing the many different types of constituents you have, different types of users. It sounds like you've got a great handle on the different types of players within Best Buy and what KM can do for them, what it should mean to them. My sense is you probably invested pretty heavily in personas and user stories. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about how you got such a good understanding of who your folks are and what they need? One of the keys to that question is the network. Leaning into your business partners as as you start to become a enterprise facing capability, you can't spend your time with every area of the company. And so mm-hmm. you have to lean into the structures that are in place within your organization. So we have the benefit on our team of being connected into the learning organization. That's from an organizational yeah. standpoint, that's where we report. And so as a learning organization, we have connections into every area of the business. And so we, instead of spending our time trying to get meetings on the calendar with every business leader across the company, we can network in with them and and understand what they're learning, kind of maximize our exposure out to the business teams and share learning internally to kind of amplify our effect as a whole department. I think that's one of the keys to it, especially if you're in a company that is as big as Best Buy is, to make sure that you have some structures of how information flows. With that said, you can never replace the value of getting in front of an end user and spending time watching them use things, understanding their environment. No matter what role you're in, even if you have like a customer research or employee research team, you should still do that. I would highly recommend it. You will learn so many more things than you would sitting behind a desk and listening to calls. (laughs) Absolutely right. The more you can get out there and watch what folks are struggling with, watch what they're doing to work around the challenges of the organization and still be successful and still serve their colleagues and customers, I think is incredible. There's a big power in observing and listening. Kyle, you know, the other thing that I'd love to hear a little bit about is where the field is heading from your perspective and what gets you excited. One of those things that really gets me interested is this concept of voice-enabled search. I'm sure many of you have a Google Home or some kind of product that you can interact with, Alexa. So if I'm saying this, even it might trigger your device, hopefully not. (laughs) It excites me because I see my children using it, right? Like they're doing their homework and they're asking Google for a math problem across the room. They're not interacting with any screen whatsoever. It's all verbal. And to me, that's just, it triggers these like wheels turning for me. It's like, there's no system interacting. It's all verbal. It's so transparent. It's so natural. How can we as companies and KM in specific tap into this trend and enable it for people in a way that makes it just feel human, makes it feel natural to get help when you need it, to get an answer when you need it. Several of our customers are using ontologies, with knowledge graphs and natural language processing to create their own version of their Siri or Alexa. Has Best Buy started moving in that direction? I know there's a lot of smart people around Best Buy that have been working in this space, and I'm excited to connect in with our KM practice and figure out how do we tie our knowledge base with that experience and enable it for our workforce, something for the roadmap. 
I would say, and you may or may not be aware that the content that you're working on making healthy is probably one of the most critical and foundational building blocks to any knowledge AI program that might exist either now or in the future at Best Buy. The fact that you've done that means that those devices will actually provide the right answer as opposed to the wrong one. That's a big, big deal. It's not just about the technology, right? You have to pair it up with the muscle to make sure the content is relevant and answered. And it comes from the minds of experts in the company. Otherwise, the technology is just kind of a flashy new object, so to speak. That's right. It's just like enterprise search. There's no sense in making search better or making a device that can answer your questions if it's not armed with the appropriate answers to those questions. The work that KM does in making some of those advanced technologies valuable for the organization, I think that is an area that everybody needs to understand clearly. Let's end with this, Kyle. Obviously, Best Buy has been really successful. You've been really successful in building a program there that impacts your users positively, that your executives support and understand that's making a difference for the organization and sounds like will continue to increasingly. What's your advice for others who have not been so successful or looking to begin a KM transformation within their own organizations? If it were one piece of advice I would give, it's starting with a strategy. It doesn't happen by itself. KM is not something that just occurs naturally. It's not a phenomenon. It is a muscle. It is something that requires exercising and developing. You don't get fit without working out, right? You have to actually build a plan, come up with what diet you want to go on, with what structure, with what schedule you want to go on, and adhere to that to actually see results. And so that would be the advice I'd give to someone is have a thoughtful strategy about how you will approach knowledge in a way that makes sense for your company, the customers that you serve, and then tie that strategy to the priorities within the company to see it accelerate, to ignite what's possible with it. Excellent. And I think that there's a key point there that I want to repeat, tying it to the strategies of the company. A lot of times the organization as a whole actually has a five-year plan or the C-level list of the top three priorities. And being able to really communicate how KM relates to them, can enable them, can help to achieve those bigger transformational goals, I think is something that a lot of organizations and a lot of individuals miss. That is a really great point. Can you talk about how you did that at Best Buy? I think you have to stay connected to that message from the leadership. Sometimes for me, it wasn't something that slides across my desk or my digital desk, so to speak. It's like, here are the priorities of the company and you need to make sure you enable them. It's sometimes you hear it from an executive in an all-team meeting or some kind of message that's cascading and you latch on to that, something they say that you're like, yes, this is what KM enables and you tie your strategy to that message. Sometimes it's pretty plain as day. It's just articulated that we want to grow X by X in this amount of time frame, And you're like, I can help with that. And you can tie in. If we are to grow the KM business by this amount and enable it in this area, that's an enabler of that priority and that goal. Sometimes it's plain like that. You can make the connections, but sometimes you do have to like weave it in in a little more of like a soft skills way too, based on the messages you're hearing from the executives. I think that's great. Um, It almost goes back to the listening comment, right? I mean, if you can approach KM from the standpoint of it does a lot of things, and if you hear your constituents and your executives about what matters to them, you're able to message the right elements of KM in a way that's going to resonate with them. 
Yeah, you know, one thing I was thinking of too with regard to advice for others that I would love to share is stay connected to the industry as well. There's so much we can learn as KM practitioners that isn't just from our own companies. Your innovation can happen internally, but try and network within other companies to understand what's being done. That will push yeah. you to accept or, or adopt best practice and in industry and benchmark with others. I'll give a shout out to one that I'm a part of, Twin Cities Knowledge Management Forum. It's awesome. a real thing. Yeah, we've got a group from the kind of the Twin Cities area that meets and we do just this, best practice sharing. We talk about what we're learning and how to improve and help each other. So it's been so valuable to me as a knowledge practitioner. So I highly recommend that. Excellent. Well, Kyle Hobson, Senior Manager of Knowledge Management at Best Buy, thank you so much for being here. Really fun conversation and excellent to hear what y'all are doing there. I'm sure our listeners are impressed, not just in the work, but also in the way you talk about it. I think that you have a real human approach to KM and a very practical sense of what makes it valuable within an organization that a lot of our users will be able to benefit from hearing. For those out there, thank you for listening to this episode of KnowledgeCast. And to check out more on knowledge management, visit our website at enterprise-knowledge.com. Thanks, everybody.